The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it occurred to me to share a few things this morning before we go into the, the, um, the more general conversation. Last night in the talk that I offered um, at the end, I kind of mentioned that uh, patience is really helpful with this kind of practice. I mean, first of all, um, because the daily life practice is, it's pretty hard. You know, it's not, I would say, sometimes when people leave a residential retreat, I say, okay, now you're starting the advanced retreat as you go home. And so that's what we're doing. We're doing the advanced retreat here this week. Um, It is not easy to bring the mindfulness into daily life. And so a lot of patience and compassion for yourself with how hard it is. So I just want to just say that. And to continue connecting with the intention, the resolve. Every time you notice, wow, I've forgotten again. Or wow, wasn't mindful for that whole like stretch of time. Or missed my whole... Uh, morning routine or whatever just recognize yes this is hard and I'm going to keep trying so this is kind of a connection to that intention that resolve to keep trying so that uh, both of those things the the connection to that intention um, and the the patience with it support our um, development of continuity Um, you know continuity in terms of mindfulness practice, continuity is really where the power of mindfulness is revealed, where the power of mindfulness um, shows itself to um, help us to see much more deeply into our habits, our patterns, and to help our minds um, reorient and let go of the ways in which it tends to create suffering. So the, um, uh, that continuity, we are cultivating the conditions for continuity, particularly with these tasks that, I'm, uh, the, that, that we're working with, the, the task and the chore. We're, we're cultivating conditions that will support there being more mindfulness throughout the day. Now often, um, and especially on retreat, on residential retreat, when we talk about continuity, we're talking about exploring the possibility of being continuously mindful from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. And um, we can do that on retreat. You know, we can really have that be our focus. You know, we don't have any other, that's our job. When we go on residential retreat, that is our job. But in our daily lives, we have other jobs. We have many other jobs. And so that focus of trying to have that continuity all day long, for me, I've seen in the daily life practice, if if you're trying to pick up that, I'm going to be mindful all day long, basically, it's not going to happen. And a lot of times people um, give up or have a sense of this is just too much or you're trying to pick up the effort of the mindfulness too much. And so there's a conflict. It's hard to remember to be prompting mindfulness while you're engaged in computer programming or while you're engaged in whatever, you know, job or work that you're you're doing. Um, 
it is possible to have the mindfulness kind of begin to infiltrate anything. At some point, I, uh, I recognize that even in computer programming, there were moments that the mindfulness kind of arose spontaneously and could track and just be with whatever was happening in my mind around the, the work that I was doing, this very intensive mental work. But I wasn't trying to do the mindfulness there. It was more of a spontaneous um, continuity that arose because of the continued effort to um, occasionally remind myself to be aware throughout the day, that kind of intention. So just this kind of work that we're talking about here, uh, these, these simple tasks, will create these little bursts. You can call them bursts of mindfulness. And yesterday I, I talked about the scooter, I think. Did, yes, did I talk about the scooter yesterday? Um, where, you know, you get, you get um, on the scooter, you tap on the ground and it'll get you going a little bit and then it gets a little wobbly and you need to tap again. Um, and in, the, in these, uh, I use that analogy that that's kind of like mindfulness, that these moments, either the moments of reminding ourselves to be mindful, that's kind of like the tap on the ground, but also the moments of mindfulness spontaneously arising when we recognize them, there is some momentum that's there. And so it's kind of like when that mindfulness returns, we're riding that wave of mindfulness. And the, that wave of mindfulness, the more we recognize those waves of mindfulness, the more they have some power, the more they can infuse just what we're already doing with very little effort. And so when I talk about continuity being the place where the power of mindfulness is revealed... Uh, in my own experience and very early on in my practice uh, with just these kind of techniques actually what I'm teaching this week these tools I'm teaching this week were the very first mindfulness practices I chose to do I wasn't so interested in sitting meditation and uh, but I was interested in understanding my mind and so I chose I chose a couple of things to work with to be mindful of throughout my day and um Um, in the course of the first couple months before I ever began doing sitting meditation, I began to have some some little, or one in particular, one very powerful burst of mindfulness that even when the continuity of mindfulness, even when there's just this little kind of, you, you recognize, you wake up into mindfulness and ride that wave, if it's even like two seconds, it can be really powerful. So the continuity that I'm talking about that can support our seeing into our minds and freeing our minds from so much of its ways of getting caught and struggling, this can happen in our daily lives. It doesn't have to be that we end, that we, the, the continuity means we have a full day of mindfulness where we're continually mindful all day before we see something. And yet these tools that I'm pointing to, these, uh, just these little things that help us to remember and to connect with mindfulness will help us kind of land in these little bursts of continuity. So the, the example um, um, for myself of seeing something so clearly just in that, that little burst of continuity, um, I, I, I referred to it a little bit. I don't think I described it fully on um, Sunday but um, 
I had been orienting around, I, told, I talked about orienting around the switching between DOS and Windows on my computer. Uh, so that was just giving me these moments of like connecting with being aware in a neutral place. And then the other thing that I was working with was a reactive pattern. So I was working with recognizing when I was angry and so just kind of highlighting for myself, yep, anger's happening, this is the experience of anger. So those were the two, two things I was working with. Um, and at, at one point I was in my kitchen and I was just chopping things and I hadn't particularly tried to be, I wasn't trying to be mindful in that moment. Um, I was just in my kitchen. I was probably just slightly mindful. It was you know, maybe in that more or less mindful terrain that Joseph Goldstein sometimes talks about. But the, what happened was that I was chopping an apple, cutting an apple, and in that moment, the mind saw a memory associated with the person uh, that I was angry with and that I had been working on the anger around, that the anger that had been coming up was around a particular person, a particular event, a particular experience. And I saw a thought, a memory about that person happen in my mind. And so I, I kind of attribute in some ways that the mind kind of, like the, the, the kind of the hooking into the mindfulness of that. Because I had oriented around just being curious, when does the mind get angry? How does that happen? What's going on there? It was like the mind had gotten attuned to anger and attuned to seeing anger coming. And so there it was. There was this thought that arose in my mind about this person. But in the... the this moment, um, this takes a little while to describe, but this happened in like, you know, a second or a two seconds or something. It was just really brief. So I saw this thought arise and I saw in that moment that I was not yet angry, but I felt a kind of, um, you know, uh, impulse movement to jump on that thought and think more thoughts to become angry. So there was this intention. The mind wanted to get angry at that person. But again, because I had been uh, practicing with knowing, oh, this is the experience of anger, the mind knew very deeply and very viscerally, this way lies suffering. And the mind let it go. The mind let go of that anger. And so in that moment where the mind saw that thought, saw the intention to anger, saw the mind let go of anger, that happened within the space of a second or two. And in the next moment, I kind of stood there thinking, well, I've never, you know, kind of like, I waited to get angry because I hadn't had this person arise in my mind without anger arising in my mind. But anger didn't come up. And so at that moment, the next moment, and I have since seen that it does happen, that I'll see the kind, it's kind of, that the mind will keep trying, <laughs> it'll keep trying to go towards that habit. So it, it's not that just seeing it once will always um, have it not arise. And I've definitely seen that, you know, it's like, you see the kind of mind kind of go, oh yeah, oh, go there, oh, go there, go there. And sometime, at some point it kind of picks it up in bites. But in this moment, what seemed to happen is the mind was kind of like, amazed and overwhelmed in a way or kind of like just like blown away by the power of having seen this happen 
And so that became what the mind oriented towards, was just this appreciation, this awe of the possibility of this practice. And so in this case, in this one case, uh, in this particular case, anger did not arise. And again, it was just this little burst of continuity, this little two seconds of mindfulness that created the conditions to see that and to see the mind not go, not pick up that impulse. So the, I know from my own experience, this all happened within the first like two months of my even starting mindfulness practice. So I know from my own experience that this practice, even at the beginning, I'd never meditated. Well, I tried meditating a little bit, but I had never stuck with it. And, um, you know, I had more tried doing it in sitting with my eyes closed. I hadn't really explored this mindfulness in daily life before. So within the first couple of months, seeing something so clearly and seeing the power of this, it's like I was so in somewhat relieved not to be caught in that anger because I had seen how much how much the mind would get stuck in that anger and just like it would live there for hours. And so the freedom from that was palpable. And so even in just a few months of this little light touch of daily life practice, the beginnings of seeing the power and the freedom that are possible. And so I know from my own experience that this works and that it's possible. But I, I, you know, in, in the subsequent, what, 22 years or whatever it is that I've been practicing, 23 years, um, I've begun to understand what happened to me in that moment and, under, and, and, and be able to kind of articulate what was going on. And the supporting conditions there were these very simple things of just like, okay, in a simple way, knowing, yep, anger's happening right now. And not trying to dive in and dig and feel all the sensations, but just like, yep, this is the experience of anger. Okay, well, I guess I, I don't know what I do with this. I guess I like go back to my programming. Um, and just that simple, you know, noticing something very neutral through my day. That created some conditions for very powerful understandings to begin to happen. So um, I have a little bit of a pep talk and a little bit of a uh, kind of understanding a little bit about how this works and why we're doing this. You know, why, why I like to encourage these, these uh, tools, these, these, these um, seemingly you know, mundane kind of things, brushing teeth and you know, opening doors and things. It creates the conditions for there to be a little more mindfulness so that, it's, so that you are available. The mind is available to see when those moments of mindfulness return. And in those moments, you might see something that is very freeing for you. So this is a, a kind of a plug for sharing experience in this form, um, a kind of a, uh, it's a kind of a describing experience uh, or reporting experience. This can be a kind of a practice in and of itself, the, the, the act of describing what is happening. And in this context, it's helpful in the description, in the sharing of what you're noticing to um, orient or focus around the what 
is happening. I talked about the why versus what last night and orienting around not why things are happening, uh, you know, all the history and the situation, but just what is going on? What are you noticing? In the description of experience to orient towards just what you're noticing and um, uh, to just, you know, you could give a little bit of context. Sometimes that can be useful. So for instance, you might... um, you might be describing a situation like uh, well, I was having a conversation with my with a coworker, and the coworker uh, said something personal, and that triggered some old habits and patterns. And the uh, the reaction was frustration, confusion, and um, the conversation was happening fast. So that's about all I could know about it. So and and then what what happened? Kind of what unfolded? But uh, so you don't need to give the whole story, but just to, just enough to kind of uh, help us understand what was going on. But the the main piece is the how are you? What are you noticing in the in the situation? And maybe did you get caught? Were you able to stay mindful? What happened as you stayed mindful? Uh, what happened as you got caught? What did you know? You know, oh, I got completely lost and I didn't wake up again until I got back to my desk 10 minutes later and then I realized I was livid. Okay, that's what you were noticing. So the this kind of practice of just describing experience I found for myself, particularly um, around... Um, retreat practice when we were asked to come to our teachers to describe some of our experience. We had a very short time, about 15 minutes with the teacher, and I began to see that if I uh, could really just describe what was happening, I began to recognize that as I kind of framed or described what was happening, it's like I could, I could hear what the teacher was going to say back. Like, oh, did you notice that? And what was your relationship to it? And so the... Um, the act of describing over time became a way in which I could orient to my experience in a less, um, uh, maybe a less kind of self-centered way and a more dharma-centered way that I could describe my experience in this more, oh, what was the human experience of that? And so that began to be helpful so it was like an orientation of my experience. I got more interested in my experience from this Dharma perspective because my teachers were interested in that. And so that supported me. And then as I began to um, to describe things in this way, as I began to you know, even um, think about, oh, I could tell my teacher about this piece. And then I would hear my teacher respond. And I'm like, oh, no, actually, I didn't really clearly notice that part. I noticed all of this. But, you know, it's like I, I could describe what had happened um, and, and, um, and yet there was a place where I recognized, oh yeah, the mindfulness didn't quite clearly recognize that part. And so in this way, um, it's like I had a little interview with my teacher in my mind. And it was, it was like the beginning of being able to become my own teacher by by having this skill of describing experience from this perspective. So it's a practice to describe your experience. It's actually a part of what this week supports is helping you to have a kind of Dharma perspective on your experience and how you speak about it. So it's powerful in and of itself just to do that. 
Um, and, you know, you can also play with this off of this retreat. Uh, there, there are times when it can be useful to, you know, some, depending on how, how you want to play with it, um, you could once a day or every couple days um, do a self-report. You know, write something down for yourself in this form of exploring the experience from a human perspective. You know, oh, this is what I noticed. Not the whole story. Not the kind of just the, the kind of connecting to your emotions and kind of streaming off of it as you're writing. But more, this is what I noticed. This is how it felt as a kind of a self-report. And that can, that can be a powerful kind of practice itself. So that's a little plug for putting yourself out there to make one of these reports. You don't have to have a question even. It could just be just a, 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 an attempt to describe what, what you're noticing. Um, so some reflections about intention, which is a kind of a piece of, of your report or your description that you're seeing um, as you're going through your day, having been... And I think that what you're noticing, you know, you said you've been exploring being mindful through your day for a few months, maybe as, much, as long as a year, and, um, and that there's what, the seeing of these little brief impulses, this is something that the continuity begins to reveal because it is a, a subtle thing in our minds. This kind of like, oh, I want to do that, I'm going to do that. And what you'd notice of the power of the seeing of that impulse that you have some choice. You know, when we see that impulse, we know, we can know we're going to act before we act. We can know we're going to speak before we speak. We can even actually, as I kind of explored in that example, we can know an emotion is going to arise or there's an intention towards an emotion or a thought before it arises. That's a very subtle kind of thing. But as, as I pointed to in that example around the cutting the apple, um, we can see that in daily life. We can even see an impulse towards a thought or an impulse towards an emotion in daily life. And so the, the, the exploration there or the, the kind of curiosity is like, oh, seeing these impulses. And I'd asked if you saw kind of the motivation connected with them, uh, you know, what kind of emotion or, what, well, you know, why? The, the momentary why, not the historical why, but, you know, the, so this is, a, you know, this is a way of looking at the what as you see these intentions in the what of your experience, um, kind of the, the, the next piece that may be able to be revealed is the reason, the motivation, just the, the subtle, like maybe you f- you'll notice a subtle like tang of hunger, before the intention to open the refrigerator door and get something to eat. And so the more we get familiar with seeing these impulses, the more we kind of begin to see what's around them. And so I just want to encourage that part to, um, you know, again, it's not so much of a doing. We cannot say, I'm going to see something that happens before, but we can kind of set the intention or just have the curiosity. Maybe... You know, maybe there'll be, a, maybe the mind will also be able to notice the the motivation that's connected with this. And sometimes, just this conversation, just this pointing to, it is also possible to know why the the why in the moment 
that's connected with that intention. Sometimes that can open the mind, even just hearing that can open the mind to see something it hadn't seen before. So you don't have to do anything any differently. You don't have to try to see anything any differently. I'm just pointing to a possibility of something that might be seen. You might be able to notice the, the kind of the motivation that's connected with it. Um, and in, in our practice, I mean, you talked about some skillful and unskillful habits. Um, so the, the things you mentioned are particular activities um, and in more conventional terms, I think we would call them, you know, the skillful and the unskillful in terms of keeping things organized or not being organized. Um, in the terms of what we're exploring here, um, we're actually more interested in not necessarily um, creating particular actions but more the curiosity about what those actions are grounded in. Are, they, are those actions reinforcing greed, aversion, delusion? Or are those actions um, kind of motivated or connected with compassion, care, kindness, uh, wisdom? So, for example, the, um, you know, the keeping things organized, that could be motivated out of greed and aversion. Or it could be motivated out of compassion and care and, and kindness. And so the action itself, the, the activity itself, I mean, conventionally we have some sense of this is skillful, this is unskillful. But in terms of what we're interested in for the practice, we're interested in looking at, well, what's the motivation? And so while the keeping things organized probably supports your relationships with your family, all of that which is skillful and which is probably conducive to uh, harmony in the, in the relationships. The, um, it's important to recognize or understand, is that coming from a kind of a tightness, a constriction? Uh, maybe there's some frustration that others aren't doing their, their side of it. Um, so noticing that. Uh, or is it coming from the sense of, yeah, when I do this, everyone benefits. And it, you know, so the, the kind of the appreciation for the connectedness and the harmony that is supported by that. So that's the piece that, that really, so it's not, the, it's not the action itself that is what we're really interested in, in exploring. To, to do certain things, continue them, not do certain things, and discontinue those. But we're more interested in understanding and kind of um, connecting to more wholesome motivations. So that's a, that's a little um, kind of broadening of the investigation. And so I wouldn't say that if you notice there's some greed or some aversion around the, the keeping things organized, that you, shouldn't, that you should stop doing that. But just notice, oh, there's, oh, there's a little clench here. Okay, so th- yeah, that's interesting. And in the, you know, in the, in the other side, in, in the place where things are a little more disorganized, um, you know, what's happening, this one may be a little harder because, you know, when you're, you, you start to do things uh, like to wash the dishes or to keep things tidy, there's a little more intention there. You can see the intention there and probably get, maybe begin to get a sense of, you know, what's connected with that intention. 
Um, in the other side, my guess is that some of the putting things down and getting on with things, you're, you're not seeing the intention for that. Um, yeah, so so that's a piece, you know, to, to kind of one, one place to begin to explore that is as you go into your office, you know, just, again, you might just kind of be curious or set the intention or set the curiosity. Maybe I can see the intention in here too. Yeah. Uh, so that it's not... Um, not a, not a big thing there, but just to, to kind of be curious about that. Um, because you already have developed quite a bit of capacity in other places to start seeing that. And so maybe that, that area it sounds like a little bit of a mindfulness sink. You know, it's like, it's a little bit of a mindfulness black hole. So stepping into that office area, maybe you know, just kind of inclined towards a little more uh, kind of awareness of that possibility of seeing intention. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Um, um, so you're noticing this pattern around um, how your mind kind of follows thoughts and wants to hold on to them and remember them and that you're noticing some suffering related to that. So the fact that you're noticing the suffering related to it is great. Actually, this is, I think I mentioned this on Sunday, you know, that this is a piece of how this practice works. When we actually recognize with mindfulness, this habit of mind is creating suffering for this being, our mind begins to start kind of navigating different approaches. Because our, our minds don't want to suffer. And so there's a kind of a, a, a systemic or, organiz, or organism kind of process that wants to move towards less suffering and when we see if when mindfulness begins to point out that some of the ways that the mind has habitually done things create suffering for this organism the mind begins to say oh well let's see if we can adjust things here and so again it happens very much kind of you know because of the way our organism is put together and so you're starting to see the suffering of this habit of the holding on, you're seeing the fear, you're seeing the desire, you're seeing the kind of the, the, all of the stuff that's kind of underneath it. Oh no, am I going to need this? Oh, what if I lose this? And, and you're, you're noticing not only that those, that those things are there, but that they, there's a constriction there. The one piece that I'll point to here is you said, oh, I should be able to put this down or, you know, so I know that I should be able to let this go. Well, that's not actually how it works. You know, it's more around the... And sometimes, sometimes we can. Sometimes there's a kind of a, um, a movement, and you may, have, you may have noticed this, this may be some of where this kind of lightness came from that you described. Oh, sometimes I can just say, oh yeah, I don't need that. And so sometimes we can see that. And it can be let go, and it can feel like we are choosing that. But a lot of the times, because these habits are so conditioned, there's not a lot of control. Um, and this is a truth, you know, that the conditioned patterns of our mind are, are choosing and um, they're deciding things. And when we're not mindful, they are in complete control. When we are mindful, you know, we, we start to see these patterns at work. We begin to understand the, the mind begins to recognize the suffering of those patterns and habits and it begins to slowly let go of them. But the way the, the transformation happens is through the willingness to kind of almost respect the 
the mind, you know, respect the mind's habits and patterns to not say this is a bad habit. I mean, the, the habit was created for some, in some ways to support you in your life. And it probably has served you. It, it probably still serves you in some ways. And it's, it's kind of more a matter of kind of picking it up and saying, this is me, this is, you know, I need this in order to navigate my life. That that's where the tension is. The, the following thoughts, tracking them, remembering them, that doesn't have to have the kind of clinging in it. Um, and so the, the, the mind can begin to, um, to notice the emotions around the habits and patterns and to kind of like okay so this is it's almost like I I at some points um, would use this recognition well of course this is happening you know this is I can look back in my in my history and in like the way my parents are and it's like well they do this too and it's like of course of course this is the way the mind is and so to um to have some kind of both respect for that, that sense of you know, this is the condition, this is the power of conditioning, but also not to have a sense of collapse around it. To say, oh, you know, I'm, it's conditioned this way and forever I'm going to be caught in this. The middle way with the mindfulness is to, to kind of respect that, say, yep, of course this is happening and can I be with this? Can I know it is happening? And when we when we know it in this way of, Yes, this is the human experience of wanting to track and hold on to things. You're not alone in that. This is a, you know, the, this is a pattern. You've described a pattern that I recognize in my own life. I'm sure others recognize it. And so that this is a human pattern. And so to, to, um, to, to recognize that and to recognize the suffering that's connected with it, the mind will begin to... So this is where the patience and the resolve come in. You know, the mind does begin to, um, to reorient and to like, understand how to let go, how to, how to do things in a different way. Um, very often, our rational mind cannot figure that out. It's, it's got to happen at a, at, a, at a deeper level. And so the, um, the patience is around... Okay, yes, this is what's happening. If we can hold it in that way, if the mindfulness can, oh yeah, there's fear around this. So not to, not to tell ourselves, I should be able to let this go. It's like, well, okay, yeah, the, the mind is doing this. The pattern is strong right now. And there's some fear there. Can I know that? If that can be held in a way that feels relatively balanced, if you're not getting caught or pulled into the, the fear as a kind of a, a rabbit hole or a whirlpool, that's actually a lot of how the practice works, is the mindfulness can hold that and um, begin to help the mind begin to, to let it go and transform. If you're getting pulled into the pattern, if you, if you find yourself actually getting lost in the fear or lost in the whole um, a complex of all of those emotions, then it can be useful to turn your attention to something else. Not to try to repress it or stop it, but just to say, wow, you know, trying to be aware of that, trying to know that, that pattern seems to be stronger than the mindfulness. 
It's like the, 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 the habit, the conditioning is like this wave of, you know, huge wave and the mindfulness is this little tiny trickle. And so it's kind of swamped. The mindfulness can sometimes get swamped with these strong habits. And if that's happening, sometimes we can just simply go, okay, yep, I see you. And, you know, I'm just going to turn my attention to something else for a little while. That is sometimes possible in daily life. And so, you know, that's a that's partly just a kind of a context around what you're working with and um, some thoughts. So that's time to stop. <laughs>